The Anton Savage Show on News Talk. Philip Ryan, political editor of the Indo and Connor Pope, consumer affairs correspondent at the Irish Times, are with us to look at the stories making the newspapers this Saturday. And prime amongst them is the uh, news uh, on the front page of the Examiner that Google and Intel are announcing layoffs. And Connor, I'll get your view on that in one second. But the other one that is rumbling on is Pascal Donoghue. And Pascal Donoghue, there was sort of a sense of maybe he was out the gap with his explanation of the funding for his poster removal in 2016. It now looks, Philip, like he might have an issue relating to 2020. Yeah, it certainly does. That's uh, Everything's pointing in that direction. And, and it's one of these stories, political stories, I've seen so many of them, that like just deal with it all in one go. Finish it off. Stop dragging it out. But he, it, it, it's himself doing this. He, he has decided, he decided to go up before the doll um, under the pretense of doing a question and answer session with the, the opposition. He didn't do that. Came back into the doll the following morning. As in there was third. a lot of questions and not a lot of answers. There, he, he said he was going to answer the questions. They asked a load of questions and he didn't answer any of them. And then he got up the next morning and he came into the doll and he was supposed to do questions, um, another debate as in his role as public expenditure minister. And uh, he surprised everybody by saying, like, by saying he'd love to come back into the doll and then to and make another statement. Now he's left everybody guessing, and and his his advisors, his spokesperson, no one's saying what exactly it is he wants to tell anybody. He again, he he said he didn't want to tell everybody on the Thursday. He said he'd rather wait a few weeks or a few days rather and let it go over the weekend and come back and tell us next week what it's all about. So we're there's, all sitting around waiting and guessing. There's a line that uh, that Machiavelli had that I, I can never remember exactly, but it's something along the lines of uh, good ought to be given little by little so the flavour lasts longer. Evil ought to be done all at once so it doesn't well, yeah, stink yeah, yeah, quite. Yeah, you would have thought that's a base mm. principle. If you got bad news, get it out in the one go like ripping off a plaster. Yeah, certainly. You did. With, with all these things, you don't want it to fester. You don't want it to be in the papers. You don't want it to be on the bulletins, on broadcast bulletins over days and weeks because it, it just, like you say, the drip feed comes in people the problem is in a lot of these cases is that your colleagues get get tired of having to deal with tired of having to defend it they want to give go out and give all the good news they have and they don't want to be talking about pascal donahue on his posters well your colleague hugh o'connell in the uh, paper this weekend is talking about that issue of 2020 and he Mm. said since questions have been raised by Sinn fein about whether the designer group's chief executive this being michael stone paid any money towards the 2020 election Mr. Donoghue's spokesperson is now refusing to answer questions. The Irish Independent understands that Mr. Donoghue will attempt to clarify an issue with his 2020 expenses in the coming days. The one issue, um, the, the Fianna Fáil backbench reaction, uh, Connor, was we'll stand by him as long as there's not more. Is this the second shoe? Yeah, well, I don't know if it is the second shoe. It might be, it, the second shoe might be starting to fall. I don't know if it's actually hit the ground yet. But you're quoting Machiavelli and I'll quote Albert Reynolds because it wasn't him who famously said it's the little things that trip you up. And I think that's that that could be the undoing of Pascal Donoghue. And if it is, it would be a great shame, leaving aside politics, because I don't think there's any sense... And Philip will, will probably know that, that, that like he, he gained from this personally, really. Like, it, like it's not like he, people are suggesting he's a grifter. Um, you know, it's it's, it's just, a, you know, it's, it's a small thing that he has made immeasurably worse by, as you say, refusing to deal with it in, a, in as upfront a way as possible and just get it off the news agenda because that's ultimately what happens because his, his colleagues around the cabinet table and within Fianna Fáil and within Fianna Gael, they'll be getting slowly more and more nervous and going, oh God, oh God. I mean, we don't want this to be something that really makes it make But isn't part of the issue though Connor whatever about if it is grifting or not if he was junior minister in charge of magpie minding you might say okay fine like we all make mistakes 
but it's one of the most senior ministries and yeah. it's the one responsible for dotting the I's and crossing the T's. It's the one entirely responsible <clears throat> for fiduciary responsibility. 100%. But it should be pointed out that three weeks, if, if, if this had happened six weeks ago, he would have been the Minister for Finance and he wouldn't have been responsible for that particular uh, oversight uh, uh, position. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. The bottom line is he's made it worse for himself and he needs to either sort it out or he will be goosed. I think there's one aspect of it, though, that that feeds into kind of how Ireland works uh, narrative that you have successful businessman uh, pays for the posters to be put up of on, a politician on the rise politician gets into power becomes after that election uh, public expenditure minister I think at, at that point mm. um, soon after that uh, Mr. soon after the election uh, Mr. Stone is appointed to the, the North Inner City uh, Task Force which is responsible for regenerating an area of the minister's constituency um, he later becomes gets onto the Land Development Agency and um, while he doesn't take any fees for any of these jobs like they're still very good positions to be in if you own a successful engineering company. I suppose the challenge that people will then raise is how do you decouple that? Because if you I mean if you look at America it is a million times worse. It is overt yeah. straight there's a big pile of cash to go and get yeah, you yeah. elected. So by that measure we are better than they might be. But how do you get it to the point where Polit- politics is entirely separated from fundraising. I think I think there's two. I don't think you can do that re- realistically because we live in a world where money you require money to do things, anything. Um, so there's two aspects. Is one, the current laws are overly complicated and very hard to navigate for a politician or for a candidate. There's various contrasting things. Um, given the price of everything these days, it, like when you talk about just even paper or posters, it, it's all very expensive. And there's very strict limits on what they can spend, on what parties can spend. But the other side of it is, is that a lot of these uh, rules were brought into place because of a culture that we had a, a while ago during the 70s, 80s, 90s, early well, not 90s so much, around how mm-hmm. politicians reacted. And, and and it was a very different landscape we had here, a political landscape. Can I ask you a question then, Philip? How, how much of this is... Get, and, and, Get your own show. <laughs> <laughs> there's, an, there is, there's definitely an uncomfortable relationship between business people and politicians. And mm. that, I think that's, that's clear. And this is an, a, another manifestation of that. But then how much of it is about political point scoring? And and like, like mm. and, and so that kind of makes me feel slightly uncomfortable. And it's, mm. it doesn't matter which what party it is. Mm. It's all about claiming the the ministerial scalp, and that becomes a goal in and of itself. And I'm not sure if that's healthy for our pot- politics at all. Because you 100%. see good people mm. losing their jobs, and I'm not talking about Pascal Donoghue here, but you do see good people losing their jobs simply because the opposition, whoever they might be. Mm. want to score a point and that doesn't do us any favours at all No it is the kind of uh, what would you call it the confrontational setup that we have in our parliament and, and in, in other parliaments mm. too you see it in America you see it in the UK and uh, it, it is just the nature of the beast you're trying to the opposition of the day is trying to damage the government of the day so they can be the government of the next day mm. and, and and that's just the setup there now the, it, it is kind of hard in, in this current scenario sometimes to listen to, to Sinn Féin having a go at the current government over fundraising given that they're an organisation that when it suits them they funnel their money in through the north so they don't have to um, undergo the same sort of strict rules that we have here because they're quite more open up the north. They also have fundraising organisations in America, Canada and Australia which no other party based in this country has. So it, it, it is kind of hard, I think. But which people's. many other parties in this country would envy and would have had they the capacity they, to They create. surely would. Like, yeah, and maybe if their uh, ideology was different as well, perhaps. But you're not supposed to bring any of that money into the country as well as the other side of it. So, In other news, the uh, layoffs that we thought 
were behind us to some extent because there was Elon Musk really taking the machete out in uh, Twitter, but there were layoffs in Amazon. There were layoffs across a lot of the tech sector. It isn't over yet, Connor, according to uh, the Irish Examiner, who is reporting Google and Intel both announcing layoffs. That's right, yeah. And this was kind of inevitable because even last year when we were talking about Twitter and we were talking about all the, the big tech companies Stripe laying off people, like Google were circling the wagons then it was clear that they were going to be following suit at some point so there's going to be 12,000 job losses across Google across its global enterprises that's around 6% of its workforce it employs more than 3,000 people in this country so if you were to just do the maths you'd be looking at maybe and this is totally totally speculative but just based on the 6% you're looking at maybe 400, 420 people losing their jobs and that's a huge number of people and similarly you have, it, you, you have it with Intel they've confirmed that there's going to be 30 job cuts in Ireland and they're in non-manufacturing roles now this is just a retrenchment of the tech industry because they had this notion during, you know, over the course of the pandemic that everybody was going to continue doing what they were doing during the pandemic in the post-pandemic period. So the whole notion of this eternal growth across the tech centre tech center was what some people started to believe. And of course, it was nonsen- nonsensical because as soon as people were able to go out and engage physically with, you know, the world and go into shops and do all that stuff, they were going to move back a little bit from, from the tech world. You know, so, but, you know, I wouldn't be... Like, I wouldn't be so concerned that this, like, you know, the tech industry is strong. It has been through waves of downturns in the past. And now, it the will only thing probably is, though, rebound. The scale of the downturn in terms of the uh, redundancies, I think Adrian Weckler is pointing out that Google has something to the order of whatever it is, 5,000 people who work directly forward within the mm. um, Irish workforce. But there is almost the equivalent amount in contractors and they're not required to be stated as job losses. If we decide we no longer contract you, so it could be a much more significant impact than the 6% when you look at those who work but don't work direct. 100%. We saw that with Facebook as well because Facebook would, ha- would employ a lot of contractors. A lot of the tech companies will employ contractors and they will also suffer uh, as, as the process continues. So it is very, very bad news. But you wouldn't want to panic and say it's the end of the tech se- sector in Ireland because it is so firmly embedded in our economy and they have so heavily invested in this country that it's not like the bad old days and you both are probably far too young to remember when like Digital Closed in Galway or Ford Closed in Cork in the 1970s. It's not, we're not facing that kind of wipeout scenario because these businesses are still hugely profitable. They're just not as profitable as they thought they might be. And that's the thing that kind of, I often wonder about that. Like how, just how much money do these people actually need to make. I mean, like, yeah, because they're, they're, they're making billions mm. and you'd imagine, do you know what, lads, we'll ride out this economic storm because we still have like a gazillion and dollars in the there, bank. Is there no element of moral obligation? They're all saying, well, we overhired during this period. Yes, you did. We didn't make you. Yeah. You decided to offer all these people 100%. jobs and now as soon as you decide my decision is wrong, it's not you who's quitting. You're yeah. turfing them completely 100%. out the window. Like, do They've made a commitment to, and not just like not mm. Google, or, like, all of these companies have made a commitment to their employees. So honour that commitment and if it does mean that your shareholders have to take a hit, a little hit, for six months or for a year. Yeah, so be it. Life will go on. There is one thing in this, Philip, that I'm intrigued by. We were told a couple of years ago that there was a significant shift in the expectations of employees that no longer would they work for a company purely because it gave them a paycheck and the scope to do what they wanted to do in terms of their job, but that they needed to know the company's moral outlook on life, its ideology, its aims, its visions, its purpose, all that lark. Is this the end of that crack? Well, I don't know. It would, one thing that's that always strikes me about this and the government kind of pushed this line out as well and you hope it's true is that whatever they've built up as their uh, experience in these places that it can be transferred to whatever the next big company is 
um, whether it be whatever the, the new thing on the horizon we probably don't know about it yet that whatever comes along that these engineers these uh, programmers that all that stuff can just be well, the only problem is if everybody in your sector is saying there's no room at the inn. I mean, we have mm. Twitter, we have uh, mm. Microsoft, we have Intel, we have Google. It's hard to say where is the open door we begging just don't know these people. Yet. There's some kid in his bedroom <laughs> designing <laughs> it right now. Exactly I love your optimism. And it might be the metaverse or some other yeah. kind of AI driven thing. Who knows? But like in 10 years time, there might be three chatbots sitting around this table talking yeah. and we'll be off sunning ourselves on a beach. With our headsets on or something like that. <laughs> What's the story with the metaverse not having legs? I find that I don't understand how you can dedicate billions of dollars from an organization as large as Facebook and not make legs. I know. I, it's strange. They've been pushed. <laughs> it, just back to politics again. Over recent times, we had uh, in the Indo, we had the Taoiseach and Tarnish to come in when they were the other way around. And uh, both of them, uh, apro nothing, brought up the fact that when they'd been in with Facebook, they'd been given ex- uh, a demonstration of Meta and they were oh so impressed by it and, and how uh, interesting it was. But yeah, I, I f- in the new world order, we're not going to need legs. We're just going to float like, this, <laughs> yeah. like like the disembodied creatures we are yeah. through the metaverse. It'll be grand. <laughs> it's evolution, Anton. That's yeah. what it is. If the metaverse, Connor, is going to be such a success, and if which Facebook, I'm not saying it is, yeah. by the way, <laughs> <laughs> very clear. I refer you He's to floating, <laughs> disembodied through utopia. If it's going to be such a roaring success, how come Facebook, if it's made such a big bet, needed to do the layoffs? Whatever about everybody else? How come Facebook isn't, if they're on the wave of the next big thing, needing all these next big staff? Well, even Mark Zuckerberg, when he was announcing the layoffs, announced that he'd probably probably overextended himself and overextended their investment in the metaverse. So they are mm. they are ro- ro- rowing back just a little bit, which I think is probably for the best. Tech saying tech used to be a guaranteed job, uh, but my son is heading to college and I'm nervous about encouraging him to pursue a tech career with all these layoffs. Another saying was a naivete from these huge firms or optimism or stupidity to hire huge numbers of staff that they would have to lay off. Well, I don't have the, the numbers immediately to hand, but I did see a presentation in relation to the retrenchment. And if you look at what they're moving from, they're effectively moving back to 2021 mm. levels of staffing. So it isn't like they are saying we are turfing vast numbers and going back to where we were in 2016. It's effectively we, there was a big glut of money that came in to everybody off the back of COVID. We made a bet that it would last long longer and it isn't. That's exactly right. Meanwhile, of course, inflation going up through the roof. You know this inside out and backwards, Connor. Is, is this all getting a little bit healthier? Is the inflation, have they managed to wrap their arms around it, do you think? Uh, no. I, oh, mean, <laughs> <laughs> I, I suppose to a degree, inflation has eased, not just in this country, but across Europe and, and it, it, even the, the, the IMF and, and, and a lot of the, the kind of the august economic bodies globally are saying that maybe it won't be as bad as they feared maybe three, four or five months ago. But I think we've got a long road to travel before we get through the, the worst of the cost of living crisis. And if you talk to people within, let's say, the grocery sector or the energy sector, it's not like we're going to see price declines in the next three, four, five months. And if you talk about the grocery sector, which has really hit people's pockets hard. I mean, you're talking about spending an extra thousand euros on groceries for a family of four or even more than that in many instances. We're not going to go back to the prices that we had in 2019 because we, we had gone through a period of food price deflation over nearly a decade. That's over. 
Not to mention the people who are now staring at the gas bill from December and a very cold January and wondering what that's going to look like and the people who are getting the mortgage bills, particularly if they're on trackers, that's... Well, listen, the tra- the tra- I think the tracker mortgage thing is like, it, 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 it's really penal. I mean, it's added 250, 300 euros a month onto a person's mortgage. Then, like, and I, like everybody else in the country, got my electric, my gas bill and my electricity bill last week and I was like, what? It's eye-watering, isn't and it? I've been writing about it for months and I was horrified. It still hurts when you see it for real. In, in weird news, now, Philip, I'm sorry to do this to you, but maybe yeah. you can try to explain this because it's it's the Byzantine contractual laws that go with leasehold and freehold and all the rest mm. of it. Bewley's Cafe on Grafton Street has in it stained glass windows designed by Harry Clark, the famous stained glass um, mm. window designer in, I think, the 1920s. And because it's Harry Clark, they're worth a few quid. A judge has now ruled that some of them are owned by the person who owns the building and some of them are owned by the person who rents the building. Yeah, so... Uh, as we know, people might know, Johnny Ronan bought the, the famous cafe there on Grafton Street. Um, I think it was actually, it was during COVID, wasn't it? Or just before he he, he bought it up, uh, added to his, his his very big property portfolio and uh, the he rented it back for them to operate on his behalf. And now the, because of COVID again, uh, the, the company itself who was operating it fell fell back on some of its um, its its rental payments and it decided or it tried to offset them by saying to Johnny Ronan, look, you can keep those windows down the back of the, the cafe. Uh, they're part of it. And he was like, what are you talking about, guys? I own those already because I bought your cafe. And they're like, ah, no, no, no. The windows were not part of the deal. So they've ended up before the courts. The courts, uh, the good judge, Dennis MacDonald, has decided in his his order on this one that there is a set of windows. I think they're called the four, not the four seasons, something like that. Though, four, a set of four or Johnny Ronan's, but another set down the back uh, called the Swan, the Four Orders were those ones, and then there's another set down the back called Swan Yard, which the cafe owns. That's my favourite bit of this whole thing. I'm sure there's a good logic to it, but you would think that this yeah. case could only end in one of two ways. Yeah. You own them or you own them. No, no you own some of them. Yeah, no, and, and like, I would have thought there would have been a very simple decision by the judge. Oh, well, if you buy a property, you kind of expect to get the windows. Yeah. Like if I was to buy a house and I was to rock up to take the keys and they're going, oh, it's no windows. Oh, no, you didn't pay for the windows. <laughs> like, it's not like you always read the fine bit. Yeah. Well, I think what the, the one set of the windows has been moved around the property on a number of occasions. And as a result, is not deemed to be an intrinsic part of the property, whereas the other part windows have been in situ for quite some time and are, as a result, are deemed to be part of the property. That's my very, very you, non-legal You are missed from the legal profession, Connor. Before uh, we let uh, you both go, there is uh, Philip's favourite story we have to address, <laughs> which is the Bolivian cat psychic coming to the rescue of an Irish person. Well, so far, the, the work is ongoing, Anton. Uh, so this uh, there is someone who lives in Dublin um, and travelled to Bolivia with their cat on board, uh, I forget the name of the airline. But anyway, <laughs> the plane bought, they, will suffice. Yeah, they, they flew to Bolivia with their cat. The cat was obviously in the luggage or wherever you keep a cat on a plane. Um, they arrived in Bolivia in the capital of La Paz. There was no cat inside the cage. So uh, the hunt is going on for this cat. The country's consumer rights minister, George Silva, confirmed to uh, Reuters that uh, a psychic has been brought on board to find the cat. And he said, through her techniques, uh, the psychic can communicate with Tito, the name of the cat, to find out where he is. We are exhausting all our resources to find Tito, he said. Now, it is very probable that the cat is probably sitting in that area in Dublin Airport where all the bags are just left. So (laughs) they should look there 
first. <laughs> Philip Ryan, political editor of the Irish Independent. Sorry for dragging you down to that story <laughs> to finish us up. And Connor Pope, uh, consumer affairs editor with the Irish Times. Thank you both very much. The Anton Savage Show, Saturday morning at nine on News Talk.